Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, host and president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. In fact, our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, on today's show, which is being brought to you in part by uh, Celgene, Azi, and Genentech. We'll be talking about medical facts and myths that everyone should know. Uh, with Americans' interest in healthcare on the rise and a seemingly large number of them partaking in fitness and wellness activities, there's been, uh, as you can imagine, an expected growth in health-related uh, news and media coverage. Um, and whether it's the latest fad diet, newest prescription drug, a potential disease cure, health is certainly a major part uh, of our news today. And so on our show, we're going to talk uh, with two well-known and respected doctors, and they'll be talking about what you need to know about recent medical discoveries, and they're going to teach us all a little bit about how to tell the difference between uh, fact and hype. And with the uh, constant bombardment of medical information on TV, radio, newspapers, and even through our friends and family and colleagues, uh, Americans are really having an increasingly difficult time deciphering which facts they can trust and which they should ignore, from what to eat and drink to which vitamins or supplements to take to which health risks and diseases to be concerned about. No topic is untouched, really, in this arena. And uh, we do know that oftentimes media outlets perpetuate misinformation uh, or myths that that, uh, viewers and listeners uh, sometimes incorporate into their daily lives. And so today, with the help of our experts, we'll identify which myths to look out for, how to make sense of health information uh, in the future, because we want to make sure our listeners... uh, have some ways that you and your family can make smarter uh, decisions. Uh, in, in a new book entitled, Dr. Chopra Says, Medical Facts and Myths Everyone Should Know, Dr. Sanjeev Chopra and Dr. Alan Lotvin provide medical advice covering an array of uh, interesting and sometimes controversial topics that have dominated medical news in recent months and years. Uh, the book works to separate true medical news from media hype to reveal authoritative advice that everyone should be aware of. So I'm really delighted to introduce uh, our guest first. I'd like to welcome Dr. Sanjeev Chopra to the show today. Dr. Chopra is a professor of medicine and faculty dean for continuing medical education at Harvard 
medical school, a little place that, that we've heard of. Um, he is a senior consultant in hepatology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and has more than 100 publications and four specialist books to his credit. He is also the editor-in-chief of Up to Date, a publication in gastroenterology and hepatology. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dr. Chopra. Delighted to be on the show, Kim. We are also here with Dr. Alan Lotvin, a cardiologist uh, by uh, training and practice. Uh, Dr. Lotvin holds a graduate degree from Columbia University, and he has served as president and uh, chief operating officer of MC Communications, a leading medical uh, education provider. He uh, was also president of specialty uh, pharmacy services for Medco Health Solutions, among other leadership roles that he has played throughout his career. Uh, Dr. Lotvin is also a board member. Uh, We are fortunate to have him on our Cancer Support Community National Board of Directors. Uh, welcome, Alan Lawson. Um, pleasure to be here, Kim. Thank you. So I know we've got a lot of good information to share with our listeners today. I'm going to get started. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Chopra. First, let, let's get to why you decided uh, to write this book. Is medical information a, a common issue that healthcare professionals encounter as you talk to patients? Right. So Alan and I uh, decided that, you know, Every single day, we're all barraged with information and actually a lot of misinformation about our health. Uh, It's difficult for people to sort fact from fiction. We are barraged uh, on TV, on radio, in newspapers, in magazines. And we're told one day that uh, vitamins are good for you or antioxidants are good for you, and the next day we're told they're not. Mm-hmm. So how do we you know, sort out fact from fiction? So Alan Lotwin and I, together with the help of colleagues and a writer, looked at about 100 topics and then distilled it to 38 topics and then spent about two years writing the book. Wow, wow. That's a, a lot of time and a big commitment. Um, uh, 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 Dr. Lotvin, are, are you seeing a lot of misinformation uh, uh, among patients? Um, when, you know, back when you were treating cardiology patients and, and all the healthcare work that you've done, um, is, is this a, a common a problem that we're seeing? Well, I think, I think misinformation and poorly interpreted information is rampant, right, because everyone wants to read, everyone wants to publish something either in a, newspaper, a blog, a a magazine, you want something controversial. So you're always looking for something that sounds different. So something, you know, X, Y, and Z drug or X, Y, and Z food cures cancer today. It's just there. And as Sanjeev said, a week later is the counterclaim. So what we really wanted to do is help patients and people, because this is more than just patients, right? This is, we're all exposed to this. I mean, I can tell you that every time I go to a a cocktail party or a function, someone asks me about something they saw in the news that morning. So we wanted to do two things. One was to really help summarize some of the most frequent things we hear about, aspirin, coffee, vitamin D, vitamins in general, but yeah. also to give people some insights into when you see these things come out, how to, how to critically interpret them so you can make decisions on your own. Does this make sense? Is it one study of six people or is it a, you know, culmination of four or five trials comprising thousands of people, you know, and using some other, you know, heuristics to figure out if this was a good study or not without having to be a medical statistician. Got it, got it. Yeah, and, and you know, Kim, I wanted to mention here yes. that uh, Alan is a cardiologist. I'm a hepatologist or liver specialist, and we have a f- uh, somewhat finite field, and we can be experts in it. In fact, I chose to become a hepatologist because I'm very interested and passionate and fascinated about the liver, 
But I also said to myself, you know, how could I be a really, really, really good primary care doctor and know everything about medicine? Mm-hmm. So here's what would happen if you went tomorrow and said to your primary care physician that you talked to these doctors yesterday on your show and, and they said, you know, coffee is good for you. It's really amazingly protective against liver disease and type 2 diabetes. And the usual refrain, unless they happen to have really read about this in great detail, would be everything in moderation. These studies come and go. Mm-hmm. And in, in reality, uh, that's true for some things, but for coffee in particular, there are 20 studies over 20 years from all the continents showing dose-dependent effects and with mechanistic explanations that it is amazingly hepatoprotective or protects against serious liver disease. Uh, but most primary care physicians, even my colleagues at Harvard Medical School, are sometimes not aware of these facts. They're so burdened seeing patients in 10 minutes and taking care of the urgent issues like uh, the chest pain or the hypertension or the high cholesterol or the asthma. They're wheezing, and you've got to take care of it right there and then. So to say everything in moderation, that's just kind of a safety default. It is a safety <laughs> default. It's a bit of a cop-out. It's a bit of a cop-out, right. Yeah. I, mean, even, I always say even excess in moderation is a good thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I'm going to use it. You may. Yeah. You may. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I, I do think that, 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 that one of the interesting things is, if you can talk, Dr. Chopra, for a minute about, about you know, how did these myths begin? I mean, how were how they perpetuated, right? Because, like you're saying, even we go to our doctor and, and we ask for information about this, and they say, oh, everything in moderation. Um, so, so, I mean, Part of the, is that in the doctor's office part of the way where these I, myths I begin? Are they sometimes the, yeah, I think sometimes the myths begin in, in, in the uh, manner in that, you know, there might be an article in a very prestigious medical journal, mm-hmm. and uh, let's say the article in The Lancet some years ago by Dr. Wakefield and colleagues that uh, vaccination was linked to autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in a prestigious journal, so it's in the Lancet. And now it turns out that that is uh, an absolute uh, lie. And Dr. Wakefield is in hiding. Uh, the other authors of the study have retracted uh, what they said in the study. The British Medical Journal, uh, another medical journal in England, uh, had a scathing editorial a few months ago uh, about how the Lancet even published that study. But for a doctor or a busy practitioner, you say, gee, The Lancet, it was in The Lancet. That's a peer-reviewed journal. They have an editorial board. They have specialists looking at the study. Um, So, you know, now they're saying it isn't linked. I'm confused. You know, so what is really a myth? What's a fact? There was a story in the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, and this was more than 20 years ago, ago, linking coffee with pancreatic cancer, which is a deadly cancer. But subsequently, there were five studies that totally negated that. People don't remember those studies. It's like the headlines in a newspaper, and then there's a correction the next day or two days later on the third page in microscopic print. Right. Right. Nobody sees that. Nobody remembers that. They well, remember so let's talk time. about the, the media for a minute. Let's talk about the responsibility and perhaps culpability of the media sure. in, uh, in perpetuating these myths. I mean, obviously, the media comes out in these tiny little sound bites, so they're not talking about how many reviewers there was and what the journal was and right. how many patients were in the study. And, and, and well, you know, what, what responsibility does the media have here? The media has a major responsibility, but uh, unfortunately for magazines and newspapers, 
newspapers. They want to sell more newspapers and more magazines. So the right. headlines grab people's attention. And if the headline says, circumcision decreases the rate of HIV transmission by 50%, Boy, that's a pretty dramatic headline. Right. But then it turns out it has uh, nothing to do. It doesn't pertain to what's happening in America and the mode of transmission. This is a study done in Africa. It's a different mode of transmission, may in fact be a different HIV virus. So uh, unless my refrain to all of us and to all the readers, the advice is that delve further. Don't just read the headlines. Um, Read about the study, and if there's a link, or Google the study and actually read about it. Right. But it's a perfect example. If someone just took, you know, listened for a second and, and, and heard what you, took what you said out of context about circumcision reducing HIV in Africa, they would walk away thinking circumcision doesn't reduce HIV. But really the nuance is circumcision does appear to reduce the, the risk of HIV, but only in Africa. It's a different strain of HIV. It hasn't been proven among the strains that generally uh, mm. circulate in Western companies. So it's the nuance that's real. I mean, medicine in a lot of ways is about nuance, and nuance doesn't work well in the mass media. And also, I mean, we, you know, as, as people, we should take some responsibility, right? We all want a simple explanation. Right, and, right. You know, you know we gentlemen, want that magic bullet. Yeah, well, we've got so much to, uh, to dive into here on the show. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about medical facts and myths. Uh, We're just getting started. Don't go away. We're going to be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer, it's a lonely word terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. 
Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're having a great conversation uh, with Dr. Chopra and Dr. Lotvin about their new book. Uh, it's in stores today entitled, Dr. Chopra Says, uh, Medical Facts and Myths Everyone Should Know. Uh, we, we, we're talking about how the average person can, can try to discern this uh, science from unreliable information, how to tell whether the health information received through the media can be trusted. Um, I just want to go uh, back to uh, both of you, starting with you, Dr. Chopra. So, so some quick quick. T- Tips for our folks. We started before the break to talk about that. Again, you see this headline, a stunning headline. Um, you know, how do you, as the average consumer, without being able to download journals and, and dig on all of this, how do you go, how do you go and find out the facts and find out whether this is some information or advice you, you should be taking, or or if there's not enough there to uh, to guide some of your behavior changes. I think one has to delve further and see what kind of a study it was. Was it an epidemiological study? Was it a double blind randomized control study, which is sort of the holy grail? Was it meta-analysis? And Alan and I took a lot of effort, actually, in the very first chapter of the book to explain these kinds of studies. Now, if you click on the article or if you click on the link, there's a good chance that you'll get the abstract. And if you look at the abstract, it will explain uh, how the study was done. And if it turns out it was 17 patients, you know, there's a... A recent study about that in 17 patients using a kind of molecular snipping or cutting to treat one form of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Uh, this was a big-time news just a couple of days ago. But if you saw the headlines, you may say, well, molecular snipping uh, or molecular surgical uh, scalpel cures or improves muscular dystrophy. Well, there are many different kinds of muscular dystrophy. There are many different uh, forms of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which Mm -hmm. affects boys. This was only in 17 people. It's a very preliminary study. There was partial improvement. So you have to be careful. The headlines uh, grab our attention. And, but the uh, but the book offers a, a crash course. Uh, you're saying does, how yeah, to how to absolutely. understand in the introduction section. Dr. Lopin, tips for folks in terms of how to how to dig in and really get to the facts. By all means, read the book. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, fair I enough, mean, I think there enough. are a couple of things that I, that I you know I, I like like Sanju said. I'm a cardiologist. I'm, I I know a lot about the heart and the circulatory system. But when it gets outside of that, it gets very very difficult. I mean, the few things that I think about is generally when something seems too good to be true and you'll see a report that X, Y, and Z intervention cures every disease known to mankind. Yeah. Generally, that's not true. Hello. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you, you want to sort of say, is this the first trial? How many? I look at a few things. Is this the first time I've ever seen this or is it confirming other things that have been published? Is it a large trial? Large meaning hundreds to thousands of patients. Um, and then we talk about in the book about different sorts of, 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 of trial design, which is also important. And then you ought to understand some things, you know, Sanjeev used the phrase earlier, dose-dependent effects. A lot of times we see in medicine, if a little bit works and a little bit more is, that works better and a little bit more than that works even better, 
it starts to make you feel comfortable that there is a, a correlation between the between the, the the whatever you're doing, the intervention and the response. So if you if you run a couple of miles a day and you're you know you're you're you lose weight, your endurance gets better. You run four or five miles a day, even better. So on and so forth. So that's kind of a dose response effect that you look for. So there's a lot of different things. I mean, but ultimately, I think you have to approach these with a certain degree of skepticism that very likely the headline overstates reality. So, so uh, I don't mean to, you know, take away from either of your specialties because they're obviously tremendous, but, boy, it's got to be hard to be a, an internist or a general practitioner these days with all this information floating around. I think it I, really is. And is. hats off to them. I salute my primary care colleagues. Um, Alan was uh, the president and CEO of this company called MC Communications for a while. That's how we met. Yes. And I'm privileged to direct seven of these courses around the country to which 4,000 to 8,000 clinicians, mostly physicians, attend. And I travel with my primary care colleagues and other specialists, and every single day I'm learning medicine from them. And uh, despite that, it's tough for me to keep up with what's happening in all the different fields, but I feel so fortunate that I can do that. So yeah. even as physicians, it's difficult for us to to be uh, abreast of all the developments and to really uh, sift what's uh, fact and what's fiction. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I um, I think there's so many interesting topics that are covered um, in the book that I'd I'd like to go uh, I'd like to go a lightning round with you gentlemen on uh, on some of these hot topics. I want to start with a few uh, cancer questions and see if we can r- run through a few of these for uh, for our listeners. Dr. Chopra, let me start with you. Um, uh, a recent issue that, that that not only Americans but people all over the world have been uh, discussing, and that is do X-rays and or cell phones cause cancer? Right. So it's a very, very good question. Now, x-rays, it depends on the amount of radiation. And if you have a plain x-ray of the chest, the amount of radiation is very different than if you get a CAT scan of the chest. But many, many, many of our patients are getting repetitive CAT scan screening. And the radiation uh, accumulates. Mm -hmm. There is a recent uh, estimate that 1% to 2% of all cancers that we're now seeing in our country are related to the radiation from CAT scans. Mm. There are special machines now being developed, and uh, people at uh, Harvard Medical School, uh, uh, some of my colleagues are taking the lead in this, showing that you can, with these machines, uh, have less radiation and still have great clarity of the images in order to be able to make the right diagnosis. What about the so, cell phone issue? Now, the cell phone issue, there's, it's a huge controversial issue where the cell phones are linked to acoustic neuroma or to brain cancer. And there's a neurologist in Australia who believes that that is the case. Most of the neurologists and oncologists in our country do not believe that's the case. My concern in that people using cell phones is not brain cancer or acoustic neuroma is that they're using it while driving. They're distracted. They're not mm. giving signals, and they're getting into fatal accidents. Mm. Uh, a, a while ago, a lady walked across a railroad track with the cell phone in one ear and listening to music in the other ear and got hit by a train. So we should be cautious. We should limit the amount of uh, exposure on cell phones. Mm-hmm. And like Alan, uh, tend to use, I tend to use a Bluetooth uh, device. 
um, as often as I can. Alan, you want to make a comment? Well, I would say, Sanjay, I, mean, I think the, the point you brought up about the risk from, from cell phones, it, it may or may not be brain cancer, but the one thing you can certainly say is cell phone use has exploded across the world in the last 10 or 15 years, and brain cancer rates have not. Have not, true. But, Very good uh, point. Right? Yeah. So, that's number, so even if it, I'm not saying that they do or don't cause brain cancer, but the reality is you are much more likely to die from using a cell phone in a car or mm. texting on your cell phone than you ever will be yeah. from brain cancer. Yet we all worry about brain cancer because if we had a, cell, a headline that said, you know, 20,000 people died from cell phones, you know, from brain cancer, <laughs> it would be all over the news. The right. fact that 20,000 people get in car accidents, obviously that's not the right number, but who are distracted right. drivers, it's, right. it's not, it's because we're inured to it. And it's, comes to, I don't know whether it's a sense of control or loss of control, but it's where, it's a great example of where we just focus on the wrong thing. Yeah, true. Dr. Lotvin, let's, let's, uh, let's move on to another question. Um, something we always hear, uh, people ask us all the time, is there anything someone can do to, to protect themselves from cancer? What do we know about this? So I, I think, you know, the answer, the answer is yes, and, and there are a few things, so and we'll kind of go in some order and, and, and Sanjeev can jump in. Um, you know, one of the things that really started us on the path of this book was some really remarkable data around vitamin D. And vitamin D is not a true vitamin, it's a hormone. And it, it appears that vitamin, from, from numerous very well-designed studies that vitamin D exposure or vitamin D supplementation having reduces the risk of numerous solid tumors. So solid tumors being lung cancer, breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, etc., and there was one interesting kind of meta-analysis done, which is a, a review of multiple trials, suggesting that if everyone got their, their vitamin D from 15 or 20 minutes in the sun once a day, that for every incremental melanoma, because there clearly is a relationship between sun, between sun exposure and melanoma, yes. you would avoid eight other solid cancers. And it's really, it's just fascinating science. I mean, people have... Have, have charted the amount of ultraviolet radiation that falls in every single county of the United States mm-hmm. and correlated that with cancer rates. So the more ultraviolet radiation that falls in any given state mm-hmm. or any given county, the less the cancer rates are. There's less cancer in Florida than there is in the Northeast. All right, Dr. Lavin, before we go to the break, we've got a couple minutes. Uh, other things we can do to protect ourselves from cancer? Exercise. Exercise across the board reduces the risk of, of it's all-cause mortality, but reduces the risk of cancer. And finally, one that a lot of people don't know is aspirin. And aspirin right. So, you know, I'll chime in here that ahead, obesity ahead. is linked to 20 cancers. So if we keep our weight down, we exercise, that's terrific. Coffee decreases the risk of liver cancer and also prostate cancer. And aspirin used on a regular basis for 10 years decreases the risk of colorectal cancer by 76%. And studies published from Harvard just uh, recently, about a month ago, also decreases the risk of malignant melanoma by 50%. So common stuff, aspirin, exercise, coffee. Actually, at the end of the book, we have uh, a wonderful mnemonic which will capture all of this. So what about, uh, you talk about exercise, but what about diet? So diet has to be balanced. You know, what what has uh, emerged recently is that we are getting away from the uh, food triangle, and uh, there is a a lovely new icon, and it's the food plate. 
and you can actually Google it. It's called choosemyplate.gov for government. And uh, it's very simple now. You can think of your plate as having four quadrants, and one is vegetables, the other is fruits, the other is third is protein, and the fourth is grains. Very simple, powerful vision that we now need to share with the public. Great. Fantastic. So, uh, so, so choose my plate, a new, really a new formula for how, uh, we all should be eating not only to, uh, uh, think about prevention of cancer, but also, uh, other, managing other illnesses and other, uh, risks as well. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, we are talking about medical, uh, facts and myths that everyone should know. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We're going to be right back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, uh, which is brought to you in part today by Morphotech 
Amgen and Millennium. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and we're here with uh, Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Sanjeev Chopra, and cardiologist and CSC board member, Dr. Alan Lotvin. Both are authors of the new book, Dr. Chopra Says, Medical Facts and Myths Everyone Should Know. Uh, we've been talking about health information that everyone should know, uh, myths related to cancer and, uh, and, and uh, other health issues. I want to uh, go back. We started at the end uh, before we went to break talking about um, certainly importance of increasing exercise and ways that we might uh, reduce our risk, uh, risk of cancer, protect ourselves from cancer. We started to talk about some dietary issues, uh, this new uh, Choose My Plate formula. I think we've seen the first lady out with this. Uh, with, with the new formula about uh, some dietary choices. But, uh, Dr. Lofton, let me, let me start. Uh, I know in the book you talk about a myth that suggests that maybe prostate cancer can be prevented by eating pizza. Tell me about that. Well, so I think, um, I think in general the, the prostate cancer in pizza came, comes out of a substance in, that's actually found in tomato sauce. And I have to say that it was a very much a tongue-in-cheek comment on, the, on pizza, causes, pizza say, uh, protecting against prostate cancer. Um, we, had a ver- we had a lot of fun doing this and talking about pizza being the perfect food comprising, you know, vegetable, oil, grain, and, and, uh, and meat if you had pepperoni on it. But the, the truth is um, there is a, a, a substance called lycopene, which is found in many places, but it's found in cooked tomato products in particular, that is protective um, against prostate cancer, obviously, in men. And... So that's where the, the, the myth about pizza because of the tomato sauce on it became or the myth or the fact became kind of a headline-making headline news, you know, three or four years ago. It's not the pizza itself. In fact, you worry about some of the fats in pizza, but it's really the tomato sauce and tomato products. And I think if you think about, you know, we were talking a little bit about diet in general. I mean, one of the things to think about with diet and cancer, and it's kind of simple, which is, you know, eat less because obesity is clearly related to all cancers. Mm-hmm. Eat mostly plants. There's okay. a relation, there are relationships between red meat, saturated fat, and, and cancer, particularly colon cancer. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the concept of cruciferous vegetables, like broccoli being, being better things, clearly are ones that have been borne out in multiple studies. So I'm, I'm not sure Sanji wants to add anything to those, but... No, I just want to mention that, you know, when we talked about tomato sauce and it containing lycopene, it probably contains many other things. And what one should not jump to the conclusion that since tomato sauce may be protective and it contains lycopene, so the next thing I should do is go to my favorite vitamin store and buy lycopene supplements. Mm. And it's the same thing with the coffee, which has a thousand different constituents including caviol, cafestol, torogenic acid, and one shouldn't say that coffee seems to protect against liver cancer and prostate cancer, so you know what? It must be the caffeine. I can have, drink Coca-Cola, or I can mm-hmm. have tea, or I can have caffeine tablets. And we often tend to make these simplistic sort of jumps, but we shouldn't. That's so the proof correct. about absolutely prostate correct. cancer being protected by pizza is not there. It was first claimed in 1997, in a publication, uh, I think it's a food that we can all enjoy every now and then, and it might be benefiting us. 
might see. Well, so, Dr. Shepard, let me ask you this. So we're covering all my favorite topics today. We've talked about coffee. We've talked about pizza. Now let's go to one of my most favorite topics, which is wine. Is it healthy to drink wine? It is healthy to drink wine, but the myth is that it's red wine that's good for you. I have lots of colleagues, physicians, and lots of friends who are in different professions, lawyers, engineers, contractors, insurance people, and many of them and their wives uh, feel guilty when they're having white wine. Mm. Oh, I really should be drinking red wine, but, you know, I get a mild headache. I know that's, that's the one that protects against heart disease and raises the good cholesterol. And review of the Framingham Heart Study uh, data has revealed that that's a myth, that any alcohol whether it's white wine, red wine, your favorite single malt scotch, vodka, gin, or beer, has the same effect in raising HDL cholesterol or the good cholesterol. What also came out of that study was that periodicity of drinking trumps the amount of drinking. In other words, it's healthier for women to have one drink every day or seven drinks a week and for men to have up to two drinks every day or 14 drinks per week, as long as there's no contraindication or family history of alcoholism, then it's better to do that than to do what most of us tend to do, which is we're busy during the week, we don't drink during the evening, during weekdays, but come Friday night or Saturday night, we might have three or four or five drinks over Mm -hmm. a nice, lovely meal. And uh, the studies show that it's healthier to do it in the other fashion. So you've got to skip the uh, the weekend warrior behavior. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Fourteen in one day is not a good idea. <laughs> not, not, not a good idea. Or even, yeah. even two-day or three-day weekend. <laughs> so, Dr. Lappin, what about, uh, let's talk for a minute about fish. Um, is fish healthy? Uh, is taking a, a fish supplement or omega-3 supplement as, as good as eating the fish? And any concerns about um, mercury in eating fish? Right, so, so, great, great questions. I think... Um, you know, fish absolutely is good for you, and fish is good for you. The omega-3 fatty acids are one of those few supplements. Fish are very good for you on their own. Omega-3 fatty acids as a supplement are, are an acceptable replacement. Now, in general, as Sanjay said, we're not big fans of supplementation. I mean, okay. generally, you should get, get what you're going to eat by eating real food. And the okay. definition of real food in my mind is if your grandmother would recognize it as food and can pronounce the ingredients, <laughs> it's food. <laughs> <laughs> not, not. Very good, Alan. You know, because like again, it's, you get to the same thing, and 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 I felt even I felt guilty to it, which is we all like a silver bullet. So the red wine is for Sevratrol. No, it's not. There are hundreds of biologically active compounds. So, you know, fish absolutely is good for you. The you know there are definitely there are some concerns about mercury in certain populations and certain fish that that you're going to eat that are at the top of the food chain are higher in mercury, but, but absolutely, you know, again, looking at the most simplistic way of looking at this, all-cause mortality, people who eat fish once or twice a week live longer than people who don't, people who drink. And, and in terms of mercury poisoning, we have a very simple formula in the book, which is that the smaller the fish, the less the mercury. If you right. can cook it in your skillet over the stove, don't worry about mercury poisoning. If you're going to have tuna or swordfish, you know, have it once a week, not more often, because there could be significant mercury in that. 
Mercury. Um, another one we hear a lot about, Dr. Shepard, green tea. What are the uh, are there health benefits to green tea? You know, so they're not proven. Green tea is very rich in antioxidants. So white tea, in fact, has even more antioxidants. A lot of my, not a lot of my patients, but some of my patients cannot drink coffee. They say, Doc, I just don't like the taste. I cannot drink coffee. I've tried it. Uh, and in those people, I say, you know what, drink tea. And there is one study published in the official journal of the American Gastroenterology Association, and the journal is called Gastroenterology. And in that study, both coffee and tea were protective against liver disease. The other study a- any, ki- any kind of tea. Any, any kind, kind of tea. tea. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to drink it, might as well have green tea. So I... Uh, uh, is, is there any, um, uh, are you countering the effects of tea at all by putting milk in it? I've heard people ask that question. You know, that's not been sorted out. And in fact, even uh-huh. the studies looking at coffee uh, have not sorted out whether it should be, is it with milk, is it with cream, is it with sugar, with splendor, is it black coffee? Right. The only thing that uh, they asked in the question is, was, did you have regular coffee or decaf coffee? And it turns out for liver disease, it has to be regular coffee to afford yeah. the protection. For type 2 diabetes, it can be either. And then a study that was published five weeks ago showed that if individuals drank three cups of coffee a day, mm-hmm. and it could be either regular or decaf, it decreased the risk of metastatic prostate cancer by 30%. And if they drank six cups of either regular or decaf, it decreased the risk of metastatic prostate cancer by 60%. For, so for the liver, it seems to be regular for diabetes and for prostate cancer, it can be either one. It can be but either. The one thing you would, we could say, Kim, is that, and again, I, I drink probably between four and six cups of coffee a day. Mm-hmm. And I think when, if you're going to drink that much coffee, we think it's a great thing. But having that much coffee, if it's covered with you know, whipped cream, sugar, yeah. milk, and caramel <laughs> sauce, sure. is not a good thing. So I drink coffee black with nothing in it. It's got almost no calories. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at some of the coffee drinks, and again, like any other treat, there are probably where you can say moderation is okay. You can't drink six, yeah. you know, heavily sugared, heavily creamed, you know, adulterated coffee drinks a day and not gain weight. It's just not possible. So, you know, I also want to mention that none of these studies about coffee and uh, these amazing health protective effects have been sponsored by Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and that my advice, my advice to a lot of people is take a brisk walk or run to your favorite Java store. And if it's in the nice summer months, during that 15, 20-minute exercise, don't put sunscreen. So now you'll get the benefit of the exercise, the vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin, and the coffee. It sounds like a perfect afternoon to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So just quickly, Dr. Shepard, before we go to our break, I want to ask you, um, uh, is there there a right diet for everybody, the best diet, the perfect diet? We start to talk about this choose-my-plate idea. For those just joining us, can we talk about that for a moment? Sure. So, you know, it really depends on where you're starting from. Uh, One of my colleagues at uh, Harvard Medical School went to see his primary care physician, and and he said to him, you know, I I notice you've gained a lot of weight over the years. I can see the trajectory. I need to put you on a blood pressure pill, a cholesterol pill, uh, etc. And he looked at him and he said, 
aren't you, why aren't you telling me to lose weight? Isn't that the major crux of it? Mm. And the primary care physician said, yeah, it is, but for most people, it's difficult to lose weight. Mm -hmm. He said, I'll do it. I'll see you in eight months. I'll be 50 pounds lighter. Mm. And he was 52 pounds lighter. He looks 20 years younger. He went uh, on a pretty much strict vegetarian diet. He's an avid hiker, so he continued his hiking. He cut down on proportions. He ate slowly. He drank more water. There's a recent study that just came out about two weeks ago, which was really neat, and I still don't understand it. But they gave people, half the people in the study, the same food, but the only difference, the same size of the plate, the only difference was the size of the fork. And the people who had a larger fork ate less. They thought they were getting more food each time they put the fork in the plate and picked up the food and put it to your, their mouths. That, that is the hypothesis. I love so it. So eat slowly. I told my wife last night, I said, do we have some big forks? <laughs> and she said, I don't, but I'm going to go get them. But we're, gonna, we're all going to go get some. We're all going to go get some. <laughs> Gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break here. I'm frankly speaking about cancer, and we will be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're speaking with uh, co-authors Dr. Sanjeev Chopra and Alan Lawson about their new book titled Dr. Chopra Says Medical Facts and Myths Everyone Should Know. Uh, Both are respected doctors in the medical community, and we're learning how to discern good medical advice from a lot of the myths that are out there. Um, I just want to remind folks uh, listening, certainly the topics discussed on the show today are not intended to take the place of medical advice. If you have questions about anything discussed on the show, um, head on in there and talk to these, talk to your doctor about any of these issues or questions and as they pertain to you and, 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 uh, uh, and your life. Um, in our uh, final segment, we want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, health risks 
a common uh, topic that we hear uh, in health-related news. Uh, Dr. Tripper, let's take on this issue of plastic bottles. We know certainly that they're bad for the environment, but um, we've heard they can be dangerous to drink out of, especially if they're uh, exposed to heat or, or extreme temperatures. Uh, true? You know, the jury is not out uh, on this. Uh, plastic bottles may contain bisphenol A, and if it's um, put out in very hot environments, that can leach out. And if you have a drink inside that plastic bottle, which contains bisphenol A, it can uh, contaminate what you're drinking. So we recommend that uh, you should look at the symbol at the bottom of the bottle. And there's a triangular symbol usually there, and if it contains uh, one, then it does not contain bisphenol A and it's safe. If it says three, six, or seven, then it contains bisphenol A, and you might want to avoid that. Uh, It clearly causes, bisphenol A causes cancer of the prostate, it causes cancer of the breast, but in mice, and studies in humans are totally inconclusive. Alan, how do you feel about that? No, I agree with you. I mean, again, this is one of those where, you know, I kind of look at it and, you know, I have, I have kids and you kind of say the jury's out, but there are so many other easy alternatives, yeah. whether, yeah. you know, glass or stainless steel that, you know, for, for, for my kids, we've just gone to using stainless. And, and certainly whenever we use plastic, we'd be sure that it, that it doesn't get any bisphenol uh, A and that we never microwave in plastic. Good, good, that. good point. Yeah. There are some very stylish water bottles out there these days, so <laughs> easy, easy enough to address that one. Um, Dr. Levin, we started it earlier in the show. We talked a little bit about um, immunization, um, obviously a real hot topic among parents these days. What's, uh, what, what do we know about whether our children should be immunized? And again, this is, this is one of those where we, we just worry about the wrong thing. Everyone mm-hmm. is focused on, on um, a, 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 a since-discredited link between autism and, and vaccination and is instead forgetting that the diseases we vaccinate people against are horrific diseases, um, you know, and they're very contagious. And there's something called herd immunity that when, a, when you drop below a certain level of, of people who are immunized, then the disease can, can go through the population, so mumps, measles, which are kind of pretty innocuous diseases in childhood, can be very serious diseases for adults. There are, there are vaccinations that can prevent cancer now, hepatitis B vaccine and the HPV mm-hmm. vaccine. So I mean, vaccinations have to rank up there with, with sort of clean water as one of the great public health victories mm-hmm. of the you know, 19th and 20th centuries. And Literally, we're on the verge of, we've obviously eliminated smallpox in in the wild. We're on the verge of eliminating polio. But this concern about vaccination, now the polio vaccination has has other issues in terms of why people aren't getting it, and we don't need to get into them because they're very political. But it's the same thing. What happens is when you don't completely vaccinate, you you, you create a pocket for the virus to come back. And these are just horrific diseases that we can absolutely eradicate if we if we just weren't so afraid of this since discredited risk. Right. You know, the fear that vaccinations lead to autism or sudden infant death syndrome is as unfounded as the belief that President Barack Obama is an Indonesian Muslim. 
And and what what we really need what we really need is a vaccine against these unfounded fears. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose you have that in development up there in Boston. <laughs> Hopefully, that's what we're doing today: is, yeah. uh, immunizing people against this misinformation. Yeah, it's um, right, people worry about the wrong things. I mean, we just—it's yeah. so so frequent that we just worry about. But you know, Alan, uh, you can't blame the public at large because they're celebrities. That uh, unfortunately, their child got vaccinated, and a mm. few months later, they were diagnosed with autism. And in their hearts and minds, they the they cause. believe that that's what caused it. And it's true that the kid got vaccinated. It's true that they got diagnosed, but it's unrelated. And we have multiple studies to prove that. But these celebrities have websites. They have a huge following. They're on Twitter and Facebook. And then people start to believe that. So yeah, it's very difficult absolutely. to tackle it. Well, that's what we said. Yeah, what's grabbing yeah. the headlines, and that is what, what people walk away with. Right. We are um, uh, getting quickly, unfortunately, towards the end of our show. But, um, uh, Dr. Levin, I just want a, a couple quick things I want to address. Number one, um, can you just talk quickly about Alzheimer's, what we know about Alzheimer's? Can we prevent it? Can we re- cure it, reduce our risk of getting Alzheimer's? Yeah, so the unfortunate answer is to all of those things is no. Um, Alzheimer's is one of the more, more, more challenging diseases. Now, there certainly are things that you can do that appear to slow the progression, and it, and it appears that what you're really doing with mental exercise, et cetera, is really you, you, you essentially built a, a better ability to compensate for the cognitive decline. But that when, then when, when you finally reach, exceed your ability to compensate, the decline sort of happens actually, if anything, because you've had that many more good years, it's kind of a little bit faster. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there were some studies suggesting that if you take part in uh, chess or puzzles, that it might uh, prevent Alzheimer's. In talking to the neurology experts, they tell us, I'll simply get you good at doing puzzles and chess. <laughs> Uh, what's been shown in some recent studies, Alan, and it's come out since we've written the book, is that exercise, physical exercise and mm. meditation, they're only two things that might decrease mm. the risk of developing Alzheimer's. And physical exercise also decreases the risk of macular degeneration. So not only the cardioprotective effects and good for our joints and good for our liver, etc., but also eye. macular degeneration and Alzheimer's. And meditation, I have a saying, you should meditate once a day, and if you don't have time, you should meditate twice a day. <laughs> then you really need it. All right, you're I'm still trying to convince Alan to meditate. I was going to say, I yeah. think Alan is, Alan's about as likely to meditate as I am, right? <laughs> I'm going three times a day. <laughs> Dr. Chopra, I, I, tell me about uh, the, uh, this acronym, acronym that we want folks to hear about before we get right, here. Right, right. So, you know, um, Alan is a great friend of mine, and... Uh, if he would to live to the age of 108 years, maybe somebody at his eulogy would say, Alan Lawton is a great guy. He aced life, A-C-E-D-L-I-F-E. So A is aspirin and alcohol, like we talked about. C is coffee. E is exercise. D is vitamin D3, the only vitamin we really should be taking. L is laughter, the best medicine. I is to go inward to reflect, to pray, to meditate. F is fish or fish oil. And E is empathy. Practice an act of kindness every day. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible. 
it is always possible. And don't go nuts remembering this. Mnemonic, aced yeah. life. So nuts, peanuts, pine nuts, cashew nuts, walnuts, almonds, uh, in, if you take a small amount each day, a study has shown it increases lifespan in humans by two mm. years. Not macadamia, not coconut. And walnuts mm. parenthetically contain omega-3 fatty acids. So if you don't mm. like fish or fish oil, eat a small amount of walnuts every day. Excellent. Good advice. Good advice. Um, I want to thank you both for being here today. I, I know this has been a great conversation, and our, our listeners have gained some valuable information they can apply to their daily lives to help them make really decisions for themselves and for their families. Um, uh, check this book out, guys. Dr. Shoper says, Medical Facts and Myths Everyone Should Know. You can get it at your local bookstore. You can get it online at Amazon.com. You can get it for your Kindle. Um, so we highly recommend uh, that, you, uh, that you check this out. Um, I just want to add, if you or someone you know is affected by cancer, we encourage you to visit a local cancer support community affiliate in your area. You can join a support group in our online community. Uh, visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. We also have a great new service that we're offering by telephone. We've got some trained counselors. If you're diagnosed with cancer and you're facing some complicated decisions, treatment decisions, um, give us a call uh, at 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. Our counselors uh, can help you sort through some of those uh, some of those challenges. Again, give us a call at eight 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 seven nine three nine three five five. Visit our website, cancersupportcommunity.org. I want to dedicate our episode today to two of our most loyal listeners: prostate cancer survivor Andy Levin and his wife Dottie in San Francisco, California. They've both been guests on the show. They're dedicated volunteers at our Breakaway from Cancer um, initiative. Uh, I know they like coffee. I know they like wine. I know they like laughter, um, and I know that they, that they uh, express many acts of kindness. So uh, I think there are perfect folks today to dedicate the show to and really wonderful friends of the cancer support community. So um, to all of our listeners uh, out there, if there's a topic you want to learn more about, post it on our Facebook wall, um, and uh, we'll have a show on it. Um, we've got uh, a lot of folks following us on Twitter and on Facebook. So, uh, so check us out. Give us a, give us a holler. Uh, thank you again. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Thank you again to our guests. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management